I have a rant. Oh, cool. Yes. But, and then he takes off his, no, just the one. You need yeah, to char the them all the time? Yeah, they're old. You know? We have the Probably same what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It wasn't time to get serious just yet. As if. Rant. No, I've, I've come to the come come to the realization again that I hate meetings. <laughs> and and when I say I hate so meetings, so nice to have you here. Wonderful. I say I fucking hate meetings. And um, I've had a couple of projects and and um. Yeah, well, projects mainly that that have required meetings um, on a weekly or even more more frequent basis, and I can't tell you how how unproductive that kind of space is in looking to getting results in terms of the project. And, and I can't for my life understand why people have regular meetings in their organizations and in their daily lives. I can't understand it. I had, um, we had a, a meeting with, um, or I had a, a phone meeting with, with a colleague of mine yesterday. Uh, she's working out of India, so we've done it remotely since December. Um, and each and every time, which also happened yesterday, we end up speaking for roughly 45-50 minutes about everything that's not, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with what we were actually having the meeting for. And, and of course, yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, and I know that that doesn't go for all meetings. And I know that, you know, this isn't the general thing for meetings. But I still think it's worth bringing up because the tendency that I see in people and that I see in people having meetings in, in the very general and broad use of that word is that there is a lot of time spent on things that don't really matter or things that could have been communicated in easier ways. And what I, I truly, truly hope with the situation that we're having right now, where people more and more have to, to move their meetings to online, is that we stop having them. Rant finished or not? Yeah, I, I can think counter so. rant. Yes, please. So, I agree with you that meetings where you don't actually meet people suck. Meetings where you're just supposed to sort of, you know, 
I talk about what I've been doing, you talk about what you've been doing, and Dominic talks about what he's been doing, and nobody listens, nobody gives a fuck. It's absolutely pointless. Oh, but we need to, because everybody needs to feel heard. Oh, rubbish. But... Or, and, yes, meeting culture suck, generally. People are quite sort of sloppy with, and, and I'm one of them, you know, sloppy when you ask for meetings, who's to participate, how long should it take. You always do sort of the slots that are there in the calendar instead of saying like, you know, maybe this is a 13-minute meeting. No, you'll set off a half an hour. You know, do a 33-minute one, you know, instead of 45-minute. You, you know, you can shake it up in so many ways. <clears throat> but And I, while on the one side, I think it's really important to know what the purpose is. Why are we having this meeting? Other types of meetings can be like this one. Because this is a meeting, right? We just don't have any clue where we're going to go. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and for me, I really enjoy this type of meeting with interesting people where sort of what wants to happen happens rather than And, and I think actually we could use more of this type of meeting. But the other type of meeting, we should be clearer with what's the purpose, what's the result we're going to sort of take away from here. You know, is it, is it action points? Is it who's to do what when? Is it, is it we have clarified X numbers of questions and we meet again next week and we have bring more questions? You know, so there's, so they're really... Two very, very, very different things. Yeah, and I think in 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 going to try this this thought out. In Sweden, we have two different, very different words for for that. Because if if we would do this kind of meeting without the recording, we would call it a fika. You know, in again, very broad terms or we would see each other over dinner. But we wouldn't have a meeting in that sense. No, but we would be meeting. Yes, exactly. Mm. We wouldn't ha be having a meeting, but we would be meeting. And I completely agree with you. You know, the, the be meeting each other is, is extremely useful and very powerful. And that's been proven over and over again, you know, when, when people meet one another uh, and especially when they cross paths in terms of coming from different angles or different areas, magic happens. But having meetings, I've, I just, I just can't see, you know, I've, I've come from, from the perspective of, of, 
you know, in in the Swedish culture of of NGOs and and especially in the student council culture, you have meetings. Um, and in all of the sporting uh, sport clubs and and all of that, you have meetings, and they're very important. Uh, and I've just come to realize that they're really not. Hmm. I just came from from a meeting today. Um, that was a proper meeting, um, which was. Thank God it was, and we actually got somewhere because there was probably, I don't know, 15 people. That's not enough. Well, 15, 18, something on this project where we're building a facility. And now we were at the facility and we're sort of starting. And this was a meeting where we had sort of a you guys meet over there with a couple of the people from the sort of the core project team and the builders and me and one of the other from the core team met with the architect and some other and then we meet up sort of in the at the end and sort of summarize and this was great you know even considering the fact that we probably you know, three hours, 20 people, that's 60 man hours. That's a heck of a lot of money. Probably not all of them had to be there. But I would say every one of us left there knowing more, sort of being clear on stuff, having actions to take until next week when we meet up again, um, so, yeah, a good meeting. And then there's been meetings that are just... Ooh. But it's like my friend Panela says. If you come out of a meeting say, oh, fuck, that was a boring meeting. Try to say it phrased as I. I was so boring in this meeting, it sucked. Right? Because what did I do? bring to it what did I do what's the action I took well <clears throat> yeah <laughs> next one well which 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 level are we going to go to history culture um... go down them rabbit holes my friend yeah. mm. I, I can't disagree with you on any <laughs> on any of these points, but it's like, well, none of the rooms that we sit in would be there without meetings. We wouldn't have Zoom if it weren't for meetings, uh, internet, you know, bloody blah. Uh, we've basically built an entire so-called civilization on meetings, and that's kind of written into the code yeah um, and possibly it's starting to to shift um, even before um, COVID-19 that there's things like Twitter that create um, aggregated intelligence around issues um, that are just radically more efficient um, that are radically cheaper uh, you know 
these uh, online MOOCs, um, you know, all these meeting places and forms that have shifted into non-linear spaces. So not everything has to happen at the same time, at the right time, etc., etc. Yeah, um, there's lots of those those possibilities that are available, and more or less everybody that appreciates those things for what they are also appreciate that there's some things you really just don't resolve without being in a meeting with a person. You have to sit there and be able to calibrate what's going on, what does it feel like, and so on, and those are also valuable and important things. And I do think that um, meetings are really interesting kind of uh, litmus tests for um, organizational integrity. A what test? A litmus test. What's that? Well, that's to see whether you're pregnant or not. <laughs> Are you pregnant? Well, litmus I hope test. not. <laughs> litmus test is a, is, a, is, a, is a kind of a catch-all phrase um, describing um, testing chemical reactions in fluids that tell you, give you a yes or a no answer in, in principle. Mm. Um, also sometimes uh, referred to uh, in the context of pregnancy tests but not necessarily. So, litmus tests of culture. If I end up in an organization in which there are, for example, obligatory meetings, um, and the further away you get from skin in the game, the more obligatory meetings there tend to be. So if you're not paying for the meeting, um, there's going to be a lot more meetings. Oh, it's just such wonderful, incredibly indulgent, great feeling to be able to call everybody to meetings. You know, But as you say, Helena, you've got uh, 20 professionals for, what is it, two or three hours? Three hours, 60 man hours, and... Um, you judging it around what two k per hour, so you spent one hundred and twenty to two hundred k on the meeting. You want some results? Yeah. Are they expected to be quality? Absolutely. Is there going to be depth? Is there going to be breadth? Um, you know, all of these things are kind of prescribed in the picture. Why? Because if it's your skin in the game, you're just not going to put up with it. I mean, if I can sit in a meeting where people are going to pay me two grand an hour, um, well, you know, maybe in the beginning, uh, even if they were worthless meetings, it wouldn't bug me that much. You'd sort of think it was fun getting your two grand an hour not for doing anything. But any self-respecting person is very soon going to think, I could use that time better. And that's what I mean by a cultural litmus test, that when you find yourself in, in meetings where Things could have been communicated much, much more efficiently. Um, could have been communicated preemptively so that you could have come to the meeting to proceed, etc., etc. This tells you that there's a whole bunch of shit that just isn't in place. 
And there's a whole bunch of misunderstandings going on about why you're there. What is it for? Because you're probably not going to make any decisions. There's probably not even effective information sharing. There's probably very little facilitation for genuine discussion and exploration. So the, the, the sort of cultural matrix that's being put out is, um, yeah, I would say low presence, low respect. Um, you know, uh, um, yeah, that kind of sums it up. Low value. Mm. So don't go there. But no. there are alternatives to that. There are other experiences. And there's a wealth of really, really great tools and uh, research and learning around, um, yeah, when meetings really make a difference and how they make a difference and, and those kind of things. So I'm not too happy throwing out the bathwater with a baby. See, you were listening. <laughs> you weren't expecting me to listen? Just checking. I feel offended. You should. But I mean, that's one of the things that one type of meeting that that I've had a hard time with throughout my years my years as a parent is is this um, parent teacher. Uh, the conferences or the individuals. Me. No parent-teacher conferences, meetings, you know, where everybody needs to go. and the parents' meeting. Huh? Oh, yeah, the parents' meeting at the school and, you know, and teachers or the principals who's so uncomfortable speaking in front of grown-ups. Oh. And they read sort of off a paper and then at the end they give you the paper. It's like... No, don't, you know, it's like, ah, and, and that's not necessarily the way they have to be, but I would say 95% of all of the parents' meetings I've attended in schools have been like that, um, instead of actually using the meeting time to meet, you know, Send me that material, like you say, beforehand. Read this. If you have questions, bring them. And then we can talk and, and you know, discuss and, and whatnot. But I don't know. But it's as if some types of meetings are meetings being had rather than here's a meeting where we meet. Um and I think that's, it's worth sort of, it's worth checking yourself if you're calling for a meeting or if you're contemplating accepting a meeting, sort of, is this a meeting where there will be meetings being had? Are we actually meeting each other? Is that what the setup of it is? Is it, is it going to be a noun or a verb? Yes. Yes, precisely. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, 
today, I started the, today with, with a meeting, a network meeting, uh, a virtual one. And we talked about digital meetings now, given Corona and sort of could we, you know, just thoughts on it. What's good? What's bad? How do you do it? What works? What doesn't work? And several of, of the participants pointed out that they now have sort of digitized meetings that normally took place in person you know you have a two and a half hour meeting and you have half an hour in, in the middle of fika and and stuff and on zoom that meeting takes 45 minutes it's done bye so and then you can sort of we also all realize that in this type of meeting where you're meeting online that natural sort of slope time after where you sort of can can come out of a meeting and you go with two of your colleagues and you can sort of chit chat a little bit and sort of land that aspect is lacking in in zoom so we really need the av not the aw not the after work we need the after video meeting you know chat room or or just sort of that somehow that that's lacking in in this forum uh we could all sort of point that that's it gets cut off and then it's off which isn't what most of us are used to. No, and I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to throw out any babies nor bath water, waters either. What, what I want to point to is the, the way we transmit information to one another. I mean, that, that's at the core of this. And just as you're saying, I mean, I feel this just the same way about teaching and education. I would much rather have lessons where, as, as we've talked about here as well, you know, where, where we bring our questions and learn from one another. Because I don't learn a thing from, from a teacher standing reading from a book that they wrote themselves. Um... Just as I, I don't learn anything or very much from, from listening to a TED Talk without talking to someone about it afterwards. And so, yes, of course, we need meetings. Yes, of course, we need to talk to one another. We need to be meeting one another. I, I love that as well. Feeling deeply out of touch there for a little while, but thank you. <laughs> But I'm not that old. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> but those AVs that you're talking about, I don't miss them at all. I don't miss walking from class with my you know, with my classmates. I don't miss, you know, the the small talk or after talk one single bit. Because that again, yes, it builds relationship. Yes, it's useful in, in many senses. But to me, that, that 
the case of that up until now has has most commonly been awkward small talk with people that I don't really want to hang out with. You are in meetings with the wrong people. Possibly, yes. But I sort of felt the same way in Art of Hosting. Mm. With a bunch of interesting people. With a bunch of interesting people. I think you're the and old in one. A context where where I really grew from interacting with people. That was not the time where where I developed the most. Yeah, and I think it's also you know it, it's kind of like um there's there's this age old idea of the icebreaker, you know, to kind of get things going. Um and there's some people for whom icebreakers are just so damn painful and incredibly um embarrassing. You know, when you're sitting there in the group and there's some speaker or meeting leader and they're going to run an icebreaker um, and it's like you just want to cringe and die. And then there's other people that find it really so pleasant. They really do. They just love it. It's great. Opens up the whole thing. And this kind of spread of experience um, is also really necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not strange that we kind of tend to migrate towards similar kinds of people um, but that you might just require different things so um, there's also this aspect that regardless of whether you want to or not your persona in meetings is going to be um, curated by the meeting you're going to definitely have on that particular mask, um, whether you want or not, the minute you get into the meeting, you start assuming a, a certain set of behaviors and codes and so on and so on. And when the meeting is over, um, you may simply feel that the, the one thing you really need to do is um, be by yourself and get rid of all of that shit, you know, um, as quickly as possible. And that doesn't mean that the meetings were boring or bad. It's just really important for you to recharge with who you are. But for other people, that uh, after work thing where you're going to go and be a little bit more relaxed and uh, a little chatty and uh, mingle and bloody blah, blah. Yeah, do you want to buy a sick bag? I've got something special. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have I a somehow one, get please. a feeling it's not your favorite, Dominic. The mingle. Mm hmm. <clears throat> How very <laughs> diplomatic of you. Thank you. Can I yes. just pick up on, on another thread and, and sort of go another direction with all of this? Um, what you said before about, about our digital means of communication, Dominic, I think that's really, 
That's been something that that I I started thinking about when I read Alexander Bard and, and Jan Söderqvist's uh, The Netocrats, um, or at least I, I read the first book. Um, you know what what they describe there to to sort of recap it both for myself and you guys fill in if if I miss out on something. What they what they sort of build up as as a scenario and and their analysis of of society with internet is that we're going to have hierarchies um, entirely built on the way you build connections with other people uh, online. So in in what capacity you can build relationships online determines how high up in the hierarchy you go. So for someone who's really good at building connections and networking and and actually being human online, I would say, bringing your full self and the full experience or as much of it as possible out into the internet, that person will attract other people with the same sort of frequencies and the same skills in that. Uh, capacity, and I think what what I've seen for for quite some time, and what what's been even more obvious to more people right now is that a lot of us haven't practiced that skill of actually being human online. Just putting up a I talked to my father because because his work. Uh, is pretty much having meetings. He's a financial advisor for for people uh, distributing their their pensions. Um, so a lot of his his work is to actually sit down one on one and explaining to people what they should do um, or what what he will do for them, which is also a ridiculous job. Um, but that's a, a whole nother. Thing. But he's had to move out online and, mm. and meeting people. He's, he's, I wouldn't say he's tech savvy, but, but he, he's sufficient. You know, he, he can host a Zoom meeting and he can turn on his camera and that he'll be fine doing it. But he has met people. He, he described to me one, one of his uh, clients who, there was something wrong with the sound. And and it came and went. And what he he his theory was that she was holding her hand over the mic in in some way. You know, people people who can't even do with a computer without fucking things up. Those will have problems in a society where where communication online is the norm and in a society where where your status depends on how well you do that and so and i to, think there's a sorry to, to maybe add to that that in in principle you're talking about two societies at least because that status is something that is relegated to a virtual sphere doesn't necessarily match in the in the physical and that's also really interesting 
Sorry, I was uh, interrupted. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's fine. I don't think uh, Bard and and Sadakist would would agree at all. Uh, then again, it's in their nature not to agree with any criticism or or sort of nuancing of of a theory. Um, but yes, I completely agree. There might be a dissonance between the societies. Um, you know, that's that's what we're seeing as well, playing out. You were going to tie up the quality of connections in a hierarchy of network connections with your dad as, a, as an example and people that are not particularly clued into the technology of things, let alone the, the codes and, and gestures that will lead them into being able to leverage relationship advantages. Yeah, well, I think I pretty much did that, didn't I? I think I was done there sort of saying just what you said. Way more interrupting words. You, basically. Way more words, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, there, there's, there are a number of question, questions that, that arise from all of this to me. One of them being what happens to, to the societies those the digital one and the the physical or or yeah well let's call it a physical one what happens when when those two clash what happens when there's such a big disconnection and big difference especially in hierarchy between them and what happens with the individuals that you know there there might be someone who's at the top of the hierarchy when they're online and when they walk out of their door, they're jack yeah. shit. Yeah. But isn't, isn't it in a sense simply with bunny ears, a matter of language? Um, it's like, am I skilled at the online language? Can I, can I speak it? Can I communicate in it? Do I understand it? Um, or do I not? And you have sort of the same hierarchies built um, in the physical world as well. I mean, we live in, in Malmö, or two of us at least, um, which is sort of a very diverse city. And there's quite a lot of, of immigrants living here, many of whom have lived here for, you know, 20, 30 years and many of those still speak no Swedish, right? So, sort of, it's a matter of language. Um, so, in the in the virtual world, if I speak that language at the top, if I'm savvy at that, that really helps me here. But it, you know, it's like it's worth nothing out there. Right. If I live in a society in the physical world and I don't speak the language of the country I'm living in, sorry, dude, but you're at the bottom of the hierarchy. And there's there's even other avenues to explore just in that question, you know, because 
I mean, uh, 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 what gets highlighted quite um, strongly in in the whole process around Facebook, um, Twitter, YouTube uh, is that um, suddenly not only is everybody a broadcaster, but uh, there's a, a heightened awareness of the value of, of curating your profile. So you very carefully create an image of what sort of person you are. And very often, this is not an avatar. This is your LinkedIn profile or it's your, uh, you know, whatever profile. It's actually you, the person by the name that you go by. This is your thing. Um, and occasionally you have some sort of smart handle, you know, like uh, shake your booty or something like that. Um, you know, there's loads of them. That's really dreadful. That, that's a words. smart handle? Apparently, yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to hear a dumb one. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. you don't. Yeah. I, I can't think of one straight off, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not that well. Um, practiced uh, but so that's one part of it for me is that, that there's this there's this curated world and then when it cra- clashes as you say with the with the physical world you have uh, lawsuits you have scandals you have people being blocked from different channels um, you know um, that's the, the the sort of respectable world side of it um, where you have uh, a YouTube profile being cut off because they said something anti-Semitic or um, some influencer is shown to have taken a cutback from a kickback from uh, somewhere the product that actually they think is a load of shit or you know um, these little scandals happen and they kind of they're kind of bourgeois, you know, they're really, um, uh, they're they, they, they sort of well suited to the arena. Um, but what they, they do highlight is that the people on the electronic medium is not the person in flesh and blood. They, they're not the person who uh, looks terrible in the morning, um, has all of the bodily functions that they probably don't want other people to know about, um, you know. So that's sort of one arena that's, that's, that's interesting to look at how these two things don't really fit together and how that relates to meetings online because the, this is a little bit of the same world that if you're going to be going to meetings online, you're probably going to be wearing your avatar face, you're fairly presentable, um, which is where we were in the, in, the, in the beginning of the discussion. Unavoidable parts. Mm. And yes, there's certain advantages to all of those skills. I mean, I speak to you often, Caspian, about that, you know, that I know that I don't have any clue about a whole bunch of codes that are really obvious to you um, because I just haven't grown up in that uh, in that particular era. I'm not shaped by, I'm shaped by other things that are um, far slower, that are sort of, that mean nothing to other people who are not of my age. 
Um, what would what would one of those codes be? Well, for example, when I get on a bus um, and uh, kids from the high school don't stand aside for old people, um, and I don't mean me, I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> really old people? Uh, octogenarians. Um, I, I kind of feel indignant. It feels wrong. It really feels like this is a signal of some very, very deep malaise that eventually leads to everybody's downfall. It's appalling for me. And occasionally I even say to these kids, excuse me, but, you know, didn't you notice that there's a 75-year-old lady standing to wait on the bus that you just elbowed your way past? Wow, what a guy. It's kind of like... Good <laughs> you know? But it's a problem for me. And when I say that to people of, 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 of my age, um, in, in this context in Sweden, I say, geez, you know, that, doesn't that bother you? They say, what doesn't, doesn't what bother me? I say, well, that, you know, people don't kind of show any consideration. Consideration should be a big deal. What? What are you talking about? Well, they push their way past the old lady into, oh, yeah, but you know how kids are. And I say, but who are you in that situation? You know, it's like, and, 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 and these kind of values, that discourse, it has no real place. This is not stuff you can run on Twitter. It's, you, you could probably do it, I'm not sure, but nobody's really going to pay that much attention to you. It's kind of a, a relegated, arcane little corner of the universe where people are concerned with good manners. But you won't have a problem having that discussion with people over 60 at all. They're all on the boat, and as soon as you say something, um, they sort of fall over themselves into reactionary, hyper-conservative behavior. And you think, well, why did I say anything? Why did I say anything? <laughs> yeah. But that's the sort of one area for me is, is, is that there's this curated self online um, that doesn't necessarily match with the with the external world shooter well i'm i'm just sort of i've been watching too many sort of uk 18th century stuff i would venture a fairly small sort of percentage of the population but way back then wasn't the letters the curated persona you know they were writing letters to one another like i say probably a really small percentage of the people of the world but the ones that are in jane austen's books sure did right just to make sure we're talking about email right no, you're so cute. <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, and I think there there's always been a curated self mm. in some sense. Well, there has, absolutely. And that's the really interesting stuff where, for example, Bard and these kind of people start to engage with um, this kind of... I don't, I don't know whether this is, 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 is quite the sort of message that they want to put forward, but that um, the... the the meta text of the whole experience. Marshall McLuhan presciently called it the medium is the massage, or at least the message. We jokingly say the massage, but the, uh, Marshall McLuhan wrote this book, and it must be very late 70s or into early 80s, something like that, called The Medium is the Massage, and talks about how. The medium um, is the message. Was the book? Was the book? Sorry. Yes. Again, thank you. Not <laughs> Just the message. Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. um, Might have been really popular otherwise. It may have been. Yeah. Um, but the, um, the 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 part that's exciting in this kind of context is that thirty years later, you can really, really start to see how what he's talking about has. Um, uh, embodied itself in, in so many different layers of, of cultural expression so that there are personas that are specifically related to, for example, YouTube or to Twitter um, in which the, uh, the, the, the context in which things happen have such a profound effect on um, not only the persons uh, and the messages they carry, but the, the, the the overall kind of um, uh, ecosystem of values that you can really start to explore uh, turning that around and saying, okay, how much autonomy is there really amongst this uh, 40 million group of autonomous individuals if they all managing to, to adhere to these very specific uh, uh, cultural directives without those being explicitly part of a, a rule set. So everybody's playing the game um, and the only rules they have, for example, on Twitter are 140 characters. Is that it? We, yeah. yeah, used to be yeah, at 280 least. now. Yeah, used to be. We doubled it. Yeah. Sorry, I'm old. Um, we forgive you. Thank you. And there are these like huge uh, historic events like uh, um, uh, the Arab Spring or um, uh, uh, freedom of speech uh, laws, um, questions being put forward about to what degree um, social networks affect reality. Um, I mean, literally, you know, how, do, how does Facebook make Trump the president? Um, and they all kind of uh, uh, seat themselves at this really hot fulcrum point between me, the viewer, the, the prosumer um, of Facebook, and the thing that I'm quite convinced I'm in control of. So if you go back to a simple meeting for the student body 
um, how many layers of invisible code are actually managing the degree to which you can experience this kind of meaningless frustration. That's the thing. I think, for me at least, I, I see just as many layers, not possibly not just as many, but, but I see similarities between them. Because you still got the, the politics of things, you still got the, the inter interrelational sort of dependency, which is at times heightened when, when we have meetings in person, or oftentimes, I would say. Um, and of course, you know, as, as you mentioned, I can easily brush my hair and, you know, um, dress up before a, a Zoom call, which is a bit harder if, if I've been to school all day and then have a meeting afterwards, you know, so the physical appearance of me might be very different. But there are still these, as you mentioned, these, these codes of how we interact with one another. And, and some of those codes um, dictate the, the hierarchy within the meeting and, and between us, which I made sure to to take advantage of while while I was in that position because I quite early on realized that if I can govern the the policies and the the documents that lay foundation um, for our organization, if I can master that, I can I can master pretty much anything happening in the meeting. If I'm the one writing the protocol, I can dictate what happens or at least what did happen. And I think the same goes for, for online as well, to a certain extent. And I think, I think our culture in, in many ways is sort of put on steroids on when we get online. There's been this, um, fuck, I can't remember what it's called, the um, uh, the theory of any, uh, or any argument ending with, with some sort of reference to Hitler or the Second World War. Ooh. What's it called? You guys know? Yeah, it's, know a, it's a law or... A, um amount of time it takes for somebody to bring up Hitler in the argument. Yeah. Um, what, what is it called again? But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But you know, do you know what we're talking about, Helena? Well, I can sort of guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty much as simple as, as Dominic put it. Um, and I think those, those sorts of things are sped up by the internet. Um, if you look into to any random Reddit thread, 
you can see that things escalate pretty quickly. Uh, and the forum flashback here in Sweden. You know, we there, there's... I've been going through uh, an old podcast for comedians um, that's in Swedish. Uh, and as I've told you guys about, um, they bring up this, this pretty frequently because every celebrity or many of them have a thread of their own on flashback. And it's called Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law. There you go. Sure. Google, my best friend. Um, so, so pretty much any celebrity or every celebrity has a thread on flashback and you can read sort of gossip and, and things about them that, that people have heard or just want to get out. And stupid stuff they said and wish they never did. Exactly. Um, and theories that they didn't even know about themselves. Um, but one of the first things, if you if you take a random thread at flashback uh, regarding celebrities, um, the first uh, post in there will say, "Do you have any gossip on whoever it is, and do you think they they <sighs> trying to phrase this a little bit more beautifully, but." Nah. Do they have anal sex? So those two questions will be in the first post of pretty much any celebrity, and especially the the, the ones that are started, um, you know, recently. And that pretty much goes to show how how quickly things escalate on the internet. I would say it's not the case. Everywhere, it's not the case all the time. But I think internet has given us those those forms types of conversations have given us a sort of a, a catalyst for culture in many different ways. And it's also so interesting how when I was on, on Twitter, and boy was I on Twitter, um, I, I sort of, my bubble was the Swedish school Twitter, which was sort of the, the third biggest net uh, in the Twitter bubble in Sweden. So politicians, journalists, and, and teachers basically. Now and again, over and over, the discussion on the tone would come. Um, where just that sort of the, the, what you were speaking about, Dominic, you know, about, about that concern for others and, and sort of showing compassion and, and sort of, you know, just it's gone but there's there was one one twitter person who oh I, yeah sort of i really didn't like much um uh, she didn't like me either so feeling was mutual um 
But she was so she was surlig, so acidic, sort of, you know, <laughs> really. Ugh. And the interesting thing is, one of one of my friends know her personally, sort of in the flesh, and she says, "You wouldn't believe it's her. You wouldn't believe it's her. She is the kindest, sweetest, you know." So it's it's for me, it's interesting. That also, in that, is that then a part of her that she is doesn't feel comfortable showing in the flesh? But hey, here on Twitter, amongst teachers, who gives a fuck? You know, she can sort of live it out. Or is it is it just a persona that well, okay, I step into this one when I'm there, but I'm also wondering what what will that do to her? in the flesh because i have a hard time seeing how it won't affect her um how what won't affect her how her actions how she is on twitter will not spill over into how she is in the flesh but apparently it didn't work the other way so maybe it doesn't work that way either because if she really wasn't like this in the flesh, how is it then possible that she can be so acidic on Twitter? I don't know. But for me, that's one of the sort of quite deliberately curated um, profile of me that is there. It's like I... I I am deliberately trying to make a positive imprint somehow. I don't retweet or re, you know, post on Facebook stuff that I don't see sort of is regenerative. I I, I really try to avoid it very mm. deliberately. Um And I think that effect is also becoming more common that after 2016 um, with the, the elections in the US and people start to become familiar with the power of metrics, um, the power of algorithms, um, suddenly uh, it doesn't matter whether you agree with the Arab Spring, you start to kind of appreciate that um, you actually have to understand that uh, uh, guns are potentially lethal um, and that, yes, uh, it's not the guns that kill the people, it's the people that kill the people, um, and guns are potentially lethal. And it's that both-and moment that brings um, this thing together that says, well, do I really have to gain the attention of saying, oh, I found another fake news article. Could I not spend the energy saying something different? Um, you know, is it, is it not possible that I can actually take responsible for myself, uh, take uh, a responsibility for myself? I don't have to like or clap or whatever the fuck it is that people do now send hearts or... Um, small little videos or whatever it is um or big videos sorry big videos 
You're quite the accomplished giffer yourself. I just have to sort of let it in. Giffers, well, yeah. Well, yeah, okay. You also sound very old right now. Thank you. <laughs> so there's a, there's a kind of a slow um, growing awareness that uh, the, the curated um, thing is not necessarily in your best interest, but it definitely isn't in everybody's interest because of these exact uh, aspects that you speak of, that if we create a culture in which it's okay to uh, live out and act out um, your unaccepted uh, uh, aspects of yourself only, um, things become very discordant, they become very weird, um, and they, they do generate certain fields of energy, they do generate um, these, I think they call them echo chambers, yeah? Where we're constantly simply moving towards that point where we're going to get that affirmation of, oh, yes, you see, finally somebody said the tone has gone down again. I knew it. I knew it. I had a sense that this was happening again. And I've said it so many times, really, that's terrible. But thank you, now I feel affirmed. And, and on we go again. And the other end of that is probably also entirely possible where these same arenas can be used for um, amazing achievements. Same arenas can be used for uh, social change that can be used for mutual benefit that can be used for um, local development for innovation all of these things are absolutely possible um, what is the bridge you know is it, is it this thing of being aware of being present of taking responsibility for yourself probably part of it but there probably also are bigger forces at work, not in the sense of some uh, conspiracy, but in the sense of that. As humans, we have to grapple with the problems of ethics and morality and making decisions thousands of times a day. And when we don't, we will still act ethically, morally, and make decisions in ways that others may experience as unethical or immoral or decisions that are not for a common good, decisions that are destructive. And that's, I think, part of the, the difficult part is that it's so easy when, you, when you're in these kind of um, roller coaster modes of, oh, wow, here's a a discussion going down and people are saying horrible, oh, what a choice phrase, we'll just give it a like, I'll retweet that, that was really sharp, that put her in her place, etc., etc. Um, and sort of think, well, mm, maybe we could have kept quiet for a bit. You don't get any attention that way. No, and absolutely none. And as soon as you don't get attention, you probably start to notice that you're in the wrong place. 
that this is the attention market, that's what it's for. Then that dissonance starts to hit home. Sigmund Baumant wrote some really, really beautiful stuff around, you were speaking about uh, the multiculturalism of Malmö. I think there's something like 280 registered languages in Malmö in a uh, city of 250,000 people. That's really amazing. 250 registered languages. And so people have more or less uh, uh, pressure on them to learn a certain language, um, being Swedish. Now, Baumann writes um, about uh, the experience, uh, he's particularly referring to a, a series of European environments in which it's very common for immigrants uh, learning a new language and understanding that knowing the words are not enough. They have to uh, find and identify the cultural codes and they need to assimilate those codes. And he uses Franz Kafka's expression of being uh, uh, a, an immigrant into Germany and, 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 and Kafka speaks about how he is required to be more German than Germans in order to be accepted. And, um, well, you know, yeah, people learn, uh, possibly some people don't learn the language, um, and that's in itself a, a, a wonderfully rich arena <laughs> to explore, where people are not going to, in this case, become more Swedish than Swedes. Um, and, and my personal experience, if I speak to Swedish people in English, they'll automatically kind of straighten up, you know, and they'll they'll respond um, in, the, in this kind of like reverent manner. Oh, wow, you know. And depending on what accent you use, it gets even better. It's really amazing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's very funny, you know. Um, so if you, if you speak to Swedish people with an American accent, it generates a very particular kind of response. And similarly, if you speak with a, a really posh British accent, then there's also a very particular kind of Have response. you played around with this? Absolutely, lots. <laughs> but when I speak Swedish, then I'm just an immigrant. Yeah. And then people will kind of be, you know, can't you take this somewhere else? Now, I don't sort of feel that those behaviors are generated through some sort of, of, of uh, personality flaws. I think they part of a basic code. This is the, the platform that we're moving in, and these are the algorithms that are, that are running the show. And for those people that don't learn the language, well, fantastic, because they, <laughs> they, they're not going to be inhabiting these personalities, these avatars that are required by the contexts in which, um, in which people move into. I think very similar things happen when you move into Twitter or you move into any kind of uh, virtual um, ecosystem. 
Sigmund Baumann wrote lots of fantastic stuff. I think I've actually, well, I shouldn't say read, but I think we had Sigmund Bauman in our sociology course. Yeah, he's a, he's a giant. And I think these things are alive in every single meeting that you that you attend. There's always this ecosystem of of codes, of energies, of histories. But it also is a kind of primary tool for for shaping the world. Anything we want to happen is not going to happen by any one of us three doing things by ourselves. Well, it, it's going to happen. We may achieve some things, but if we did the three of us, or um, you were speaking about what's called art of hosting, for example, you, a group of, what, 50, 100 people? I have no idea how many they are. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah, at I mean, the in, in, hosting in event, you were... Oh, um, yeah, well, no. I think we're roughly 100 time 100 people yeah yeah that's a, a huge lever so whatever the quality of that communication is uh, is going to be really really impactful yeah and it absolutely has been for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting because I think that in the same way that you, Dominic, play around with sort of different personas by speaking American or speaking, speaking posh British or speaking your Swedish, you can play around with different personas online as well. It is a, a great playground that way. But this is gonna sound so pompous, but if I play around but sort of lack that sense of, of consciousness, of awareness, of, of reflection, of observation, and, and sort of not just face value. Oh, look, when I'm a bitch, I get so retweeted. That's the way to go. But, but to sort of think about it is like, is that the impact I want to have? And what is the true impact? Does it, is it of service or is it not? And, and what does it make me feel? You know, does it feel good? But what is that good? Is it just the, oh, you know, 50 retweets? Or is it the good of, wow, that really felt good inside because this is at the core of me who I am? You know, so all of those 
aspects of, of using the playground to learn about yourself is like, yes, more of that. But just a playground to sort of go bully or go, you know, it's like, oh, no, I, I really don't want that. That's not, I don't think that is. Sort of long-term um, good for you um, or us. Um, in the same sense that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm a coach and I've been to tra coaching trainings where, you know, they say like, well, sort of, you know, read up on different coaches and, and sort of try them on, you know, this is the way he does it. How does that sit with me? And this is the way she does it. How does that sit with me? What's the result? And, and, and when you're done, you sort of, here I am. In the same way that Beatles sort of, you know, they were doing covers of all sorts of different things. And then there they are, sort of trying on what works for other as a way of learning about me. Rather than trying on and, oh, this was the one where I got the most attention, I'll do that. But perhaps sort of dying within to, to be dramatic about it, just not doing it in a way that actually feeds me, sort of the inner me, my, the being that is me. And for me, a lot of what you're talking about is, is, is pointing at um, this really obvious thing that um, there are no bodies. That the, the world of social media uh, implies disembodiment. And possibly that can be can be changed through different ways of, of, of being in those spaces, you know, for example, of, of being able to say, I learned this about myself through this interaction that we had just now. Uh, I feel like this, uh, or I felt like that before, and, and I've sort of had this insight or, you know, whatever, to kind of really try and, and, and ground those experiences and impressions uh, into yourself yeah yes and 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 by sharing it into that context mm. um, to, to, to sort of add that dimensional value um, but it doesn't seem really to be that well suited uh, for for many of these spaces and undoubtedly there's a there's a, a huge need and a shift there any number of of um, social media uh, platforms being built for slow interactions. There's a lot of people really trying to, to, to find uh, authentic spaces to try and create uh, platforms and, and, and uh, protocols within those platforms for authentic relating in social media. 
and whether or not they, um, you know, ever gain that sort of size that Facebook has, uh, I think is more an indication of their, their success when they don't. Um, That embodiment, I think, is also one of the aspects that I, that I and many feel is hard now. Like, yeah, we can meet here, but where's that? And I was talking to my mother the other night and, and my eldest came and I, when I was finished talking, I told her that, you know, grandma says, sends her love. And she was like, my eldest, she was like, she had the car over the weekend and she said, I just want to drive up there and just hug her. You know, I can't, you know, if this goes on for a year, won't I get to hug her? And she was in Australia last year, but then she was on the other side of the fucking world. That's understandable. That's okay. She's an hour away by car. You know, and just this, and it was, you know, sort of teary-eyed now, but, but it made me happy to have my 20-year-old say, I just want to hug my grandmother because of this. It's like it, it has to be in the body also. Yeah, we need to meet. We need to meet, precisely. To truly meet, we need that. It is... It is... The meat suits need to meet. Yeah. I read something somewhere, some at some time about an experiment made in uh, in Japan where a couple of people i think they're i haven't been able to find this since i read it so i i can't really tell if it's true or you know any of the details but but they they had a couple of people who were locked up in houses um and they all had jobs which they could perform from home. Um, and they had services, de you know, delivering food to their door. They had everything they, they needed in that sense. Um, in terms of income, in terms of food, in terms of any supplies, you know, anything could be shipped there. And they didn't leave the, the house for a year at all. They didn't exit the building. Which is kind of astounding to me. That that's where we're at. In human evolution. I don't need to leave my house. Well, then I'm not gonna. And I think it's amazing for people to have that option. 
if if they you know for any reason need to but it's also you know sort of scary to think of that people might be doing this for any type of reason it might you know avoid human physical contact at all for amazing amounts of time well there are people that do it to become enlightened and meditate in a cave for several years. I have one of those experiences where touch just... In, in 2016, when I separated from my then husband, um, and, you know, it wasn't Corona time, so I had friends and kids to hug and, you know, um, but a couple of months after the separation, I went to get a massage and, you know, stripped down. I just have my underwear. I'm lying sort of belly down on the, on the table and he sort of packs, you know, towels and stuff on sort of the upper half and one of my legs and then starts to sort of, you know, take oil and starts to just massage my leg. And tears. I was crying from this skin on skin. And I mean, it was, he was a great masseur, whatever, you know. And, and I like it when it's sort of, you know, because I always have lots of tender spots and they press down and it hurts like hell and I love it. Um, but just to have somebody touch me was, was absolutely just, my entire body just says, please put your hands on me. And it was so interesting to sort of, you know, to, again, this observer, to pick up on this, to see it and to just sort of, just, just own it. But okay, it's been too long since I actually had somebody touch me. Because we need to meet uh, in, 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 many, in many ways. Um, I still hate meetings. But you don't mind massage. I do mind massage. <laughs> Fucking hate that too. Hey, sorry. God sorry, damn. Sorry. One of the worst things I know. Yeah. I don't know how they allow it. Somebody should do something about it. <laughs> Let's start a Twitter campaign. Um, sorry, I can't attend your meeting, but you know. Mm.
I don't hate meetings, but I really don't like meetings where there's no meetings taking place. And I really don't like synchronous meetings where there's information being shared that I could have read beforehand or watched a you know tiny video or something. And it's just absolutely pointless. That could have been asynchronous. Um, making it possible to meet. Well, I don't hate meetings, but I do prefer the ones where I didn't end up going at all. And that's final. You guys are old. I'm not. True. Mm. But we knew that already. So what else is new? Yeah, well, I've, I've done a lot of meetings. I have some fond and some not so fond memories of meetings. One of the best ones, I think, was in, um, in Alexandra Township, in outside Johannesburg, I had a sort of a project for several years. We were digitizing schools. Um, I was working for an NGO that was managing getting computers into the schools and then um, sort of training people to manage school administration on computer and stuff. Um, and all of this was really, really, really contentious. Um, so it required a lot of meetings and a lot of just sitting, listening, hearing people out, hearing people out again and hearing them out again and sitting through the discomfort where people are not prepared to say anything because they're possibly completely afraid. I was thinking about, you know, the meeting was boring because I was boring. I didn't add anything to it. But there are places in the world where you don't add things to meetings because you're going to get fucking shot, you know. Um, and that may seem Different extreme, context. But, well, actually, in this context in Sweden, there's a damn serious social repression mechanism at play in which people will lose their jobs, they will be isolated for opening their mouths at meetings. And I kind of think it's insensitive to say things like that, as if it's some sort of blanket panacea. You know, I can just be exciting in meetings, um, and then they won't be boring anymore. Well, you won't have a job necessarily either. Um, and they, they, they are sometimes consequences for not sticking to the code. We had a meeting, I think, if I remember correctly, it was only union members. And there were all these, uh, you know, so-called stakeholders. And unions were a really significant stakeholder in this process of, of getting everybody um, sort of onto uh, a electronic, digitized world into some sort of unified platform and process, etc., etc. So. One of the problems in many of these meetings was that people arrived armed. Um, 
so very often the first part of the meeting um, was negotiating how to disarm everybody so that we could start the meeting. So where would we put our guns? And I'm not talking armed like, you know, sort of just knives, uh, seriously loaded pistols and that sort of shit, you know. Um, so you could sort of, um, and, and, and the same thing, cell phones had only just started at that stage. Um, there was a really funny meeting, um, quite a big meeting that I attended where uh, all of the, all of the uh, ushers for the meeting, and they were, I don't know, like 700 people in an auditorium. So everybody left their cell phones outside um, on the registration tables with their personal card attached. And the ushers all stood outside and listened. Um, and if someone's phone rang, they answered it and they <laughs> ran into the auditorium and got the mic and said, uh, Mr. Dennis Brown. <laughs> and then he would get up and go, you know, take his call. But in any case, we had a little meeting inside Alexandra. Um, and there were maybe about 12 people. Um, and we'd kind of done all the negotiations for uh, firearms and, uh, you know, rules of engagement and etc. And we had uh, basically just sat down to start having our a discussion about how to possibly start discussing, you know, the serious issues. There's like layers of layers of layers of, you know, process to get to places where people agree on stuff. And then suddenly there's just a shot and a bullet passed straight through the meeting room. It was really quiet. Nobody moved for what seemed like forever, you know. And then when everybody could breathe, there was a kind of general consensus that things were serious and um, it was a good idea that we were there and just carry on talking, which we did. That's one of the best meetings you've attended? One with the fondest memories? It's it's a memorable meeting. Fond memorable, yes. Fond. I, said I, mm. I had fond meeting, fond memories, and you know some not so fond, and for different uh, and reasons. Maybe this was one of the most memorable ones. It's possibly uh, one of those memorable ones. Mm. I was the edge of my chair, just waiting for the turnaround. <laughs> one of the best meetings I've ever attended. And a bullet flew through the meeting room. And then we all got along. No, we continued talking. Sat down quietly. Where did the bullet come from? I don't know. Neither did anybody else. But everybody else in the room was quite okay with the fact that there were lots of different factions and interests. And for many of them, the... The mode of expression was, um, you know, violence, because there's such a, an amazingly high degree of disempowerment, or there was at that just that point. And there was, a, I mean, really a, just an astonishing amount of violence, an astonishing amount of violence, often political violence, uh, 
to a lesser degree, maybe. Um, there was a lot of socioeconomic violence, but it, it, it wasn't quite as spectacular. And I remember my, my colleague who, who lived in, um, in Alexandra um, talking at one of these meetings. We had about uh, 60 participants from ranging from 13 to 83. And um, I would uh, pose questions of what it was, what it was like, you know, um, and we would have to sit through these meetings or, or, or meet in these meetings repeatedly um, for months on end uh, in order to create enough trust and presence and acceptance to start talking about real issues as to whether we were actually going to implement any any change actions or not. Everybody knew and agreed that we needed the change actions, but there was definitely not any onboarding because if you onboarded outside of the code, well, that could cost you a life. That could be pretty serious stuff, you know. And uh, my colleague was, was explaining um, what the context was like, and he, um, he stood up and he said, you know, um, I think what you have to understand is that for us, um, funerals have become like weddings. And, you know, there was not a person in that room that didn't understand exactly what he meant. There was complete and utter identification with understanding that the, 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 that there had been this this horrific transformation of the fabric of society in which something so affirming as a, a wedding ceremony had been replaced by funerals. That funerals had become the, the primary site of affirmation. That's where people met. So I don't hate meetings. I've come to respect the fact that people need to meet on the terms of the context that they find themselves in. And that the forces of those fields are far greater than any clever idea that I can ever have in my life.